for. Now, before I read it, I just wanted to uh, just do a quick overview. Um, it's good to kind of recap the story where we've been so far. And last week, we took the week off, and I'm sure you were all um, just, you know, enjoyed uh, meeting and, again, hearing from Jim Leary. He's a dear friend, and I know he's spoken here many times, so many of you know him. So I'm very thankful uh, to him. And uh, he, of course, had nothing but great things to say about his experience here once again. So I thank you, everybody that welcomed him, and uh, just lent your ear to him for that time. So I uh, thank you to him. Uh, but uh, So we skipped a week, and so let's just review real quick the story of Jonah. If you remember that Jonah being a prophet sent by God, as all the prophets were, to deliver a message. But remember, Jonah's a little different because... Jonah was not bringing the message specifically to the people of Israel, God's people, although the book was written for them, and it is a message for the people. And in many ways, Jonah represents the people of Israel. But Jonah was specifically called to bring the word of God to Nineveh, a Gentile city uh, that was um, you know, part of the Assyrian nation. And uh, they were known throughout that world at the time as being ruthless and quite depraved and uh, people that you did not want to go near or mess with. And you remember that Jonah wasn't so happy about being called by God to do that. And so he took the opportunity when God said to go to Nineveh, he went in about 2,500 miles in the opposite direction by sea. Remember that? And uh, he tried to hide from God or run away from his calling and responsibility to bring the word of God to the people of Nineveh. And so God certainly got his attention by appointing, the scripture says, a great fish, right, after he was almost drowned. As you remember that a great storm came and God sent the storm and the sailors didn't know what was going on and finally recognized that it was Jonah's fault and he kind of, you know, he spoke up and copped it to it and said, yeah, it was me. And so they threw him overboard And he almost drowned. If you remember then, Jonah gave this great word of saying thanks to God for saving him from drowning. But isn't it amazing that he saved him, saved his life by having him swallowed up by a great fish? Not not the way that we would like to be saved when we ask God to rescue us, right? But that's what he did. And then, of course, we know in sort of a picture of the resurrection, because we talked about how Jesus referenced Jonah, one of the four prophets that Jesus actually mentions, he says that Jesus says himself that he was going to go into the grave for three days and rise again just like the sign of Jonah who went down into the belly of the great fish for those three days and three nights. And then the fish, it said, vomited or spit him up onto dry land. And then Jonah had another chance, right? And so we pick up on chapter four today about what that second chance looks like. And what happens? And so what I'd like to do is I'm going to read the chapter as we always do. It won't be up on the screen for you, but I've asked a few people from the worship team to come up and to kind of help me um, read this story. All right. And so as I read, you can just kind of uh, sort of live out what actually would have been transpiring in this chapter between God and his prophet Jonah. All right. And so, the Word of God says this in chapter 4 of Jonah. You remember it ended when it said that um, Jonah wasn't so happy because God had um, 
relented from judging the people of Nineveh. So chapter 4 starts like this. It says, But to Jonah, this grace of God seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. You're slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right? For you to be angry? So Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. East of the city. East, west, it's okay. And so he went to the east of the city and there he made himself a shelter. He sat in its shade, and he waited to see what would happen to this city. But then, the Lord God appointed a leafy plant, and he made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah, he was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm. And this worm, this worm chewed up the plant and choked it so that it withered. Now when the sun rose, God provided, as the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. It was a scorching east wind. And the sun blazed and pounded on Jonah's head so that Jonah grew faint. And and the east wind died out. The east wind... Thank you. And Jonah just wanted to die. And he said... It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Jonah said, It is right. I am so angry, I wish I was dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for this great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left? Their right hand from their left. And also all the many animals. There you go. Thank you so much for helping me.
What an amazingly talented people we have here at church. I think we should take it on the road. What do you think? Well, sometimes it does help to have that visual to see just exactly what was happening. And in many ways, Jonah was acting like an angry, frustrated child because he wasn't getting his way. See, Jonah was more concerned about his comfort and his own pleasure just from that plant than he was for the people of Nineveh. Please recognize that as we just go through and highlight a few things from this chapter. It's so important to see, you know what, there's a great comparison here between many things, between Jonah's anger and God's compassion. Between God's need and desire to help the people of Nineveh and Jonah wanted nothing to do with it. Jonah, it said, wanted to die. It kept saying he would rather die than be alive. That's how distraught he was by not getting his way. Can you just picture a young, immature child holding their breath and turning red until they get their way? But isn't that just like us? In many ways, we can say, I am Jonah. You know, as I was reading this this passage, I was thinking about how we all tend to go to those extremes, don't we? You know, in, in, by nature, we are extreme people. Have you kind of watched any of the Olympics yet? It just started. But as we just sort of as uh, normal folk, you know, we watch these amazing athletes do these things and they do it to such extreme measures. That's why it's so captivating. And last night, me and my family were watching the snowboarding. Isn't that amazing to see what they can do? You know, and doesn't it kind of look a little easy? Like we could try that, right? I'm going to highly suggest that you don't try to do what they're doing because they do make it look easy. But so extreme it is, right? And you're just so blown away. And I commented, I said, afterwards, all the announcer could say was, oh, well, he missed that little flip and his foot pointed this way. I'm like, are you kidding? But that is exactly what they do because they compete at such a high and extreme level. It's amazing to us. But, you know, in many ways, especially we bring it internally, Aren't we really extremists at heart? We go from being hot or cold. We go from being jubilant and celebratory to being angry and frustrated and sad, angry. I mean, we do that. But what does God call for us to do? He calls us to really meet Him where He is, to see people through His eyes. See, Jonah in many ways was quite unbalanced, wasn't he? I mean, here is Jonah... We just see the contrast between God's compassion, but Jonah's displeasure and frustration. God is turning from his anger, remember in chapter 3, and Jonah is turning towards anger. First, he was blatantly disobedient by running from God, but then he was thankful that God saved him. Then he was obedient again, but then frustrated and angry once again. Do you see the extremes? And again, even though God brought uh, and called Jonah to go to the people of Nineveh, a Gentile people, not the Jews, this letter truly was written for the people of Israel as Jonah represented them and God saying to them, this is what you were like. You were hot and you were cold. 
you call after me and worship me, and then in the next breath you disobey and you worship false gods. And it's a story, a cyclical story over and over that we see when we read through the Old Testament until God sends His Son Jesus. And you know, I think that we can relate to Jonah in many ways. Jonah himself wanted to be delivered from calamity and destruction. He even just was so excited, like he was the most happy in this whole story when God just gave him a simple plant for shade. He was the most excited. But then what did God do? Just overnight, he then took it away, right? He took it away. And Jonah was so displeased and upset. He just wanted to die. Because there was a hot east wind, it said, and, and the worm came and it ate up the plant. He was more upset about losing his own comfort. See that? Than he was, as God tells him at the end, about the 120,000 people or so that were in the city and all of their cattle and animals. Man, what is it that we can take from that? What can we glean from that about ourselves? I mean, don't we also kind of go to those extremes and, and what it is is we set our priorities all wrong. But you know what else we do? Is we put up walls. We put up walls between ourselves and God, between us and other people, even right here within the church. You know, I had some interesting conversations the last two weeks, you know, and and when you're going to, to preach on a, on a passage, right, like I'm doing in Jonah 4, and, and you're preparing and reading through it a couple weeks ahead of time, and then you know, as that week approaches beforehand, you're preparing and reading, and you always want to just say, God, you know, what, it, what is it that you want me to highlight and point out? Because there's, so there's always so many things that you can take when you're reading a passage of Scripture and things that you can focus on and highlight and important things that we don't want to miss. And and even in this short book of four chapters, there's so much that we can't even cover. But as I'm praying that, not even recognizing what's God, what God's doing, two weeks ago, I had a very long thought, and I had a very long and intense conversation with some people about labels, about how we label and judge other people. Now, we might not admit it, but we all do it. Why is it that we label other people? And we see somebody, we can size them up, and already we know, we put a judgment on them in our minds, don't we? And we give them a label. It's that whole idea of judging a book just by its cover. I think we've all been burned by that too. So I had this long, intense conversation about what it looks like to label other people. And we were talking to some friends who are struggling through a very difficult time these last two years and just talking about why is it that people label us. And then I was listening to the radio the other day and was hearing a preacher talk about this very thing. Just happened to turn on the radio and heard whoever it was that was speaking talking about why do we judge others in our hearts? What does that look like in the church to represent God and still be prejudiced and biased and bigoted, racist, sexist? Why do we do that? Then, the other day, Claudia said, here, would you listen to this, not even knowing where I was going or what I was going to preach on in Jonah chapter 4, and 
She said, I heard this. I'd like you to listen to it and see, you know, what you think of it, what it sounds like. And the whole message was all about this same topic, about being prejudiced in the heart, about labeling others and and judging others. And I'm saying, God, thank you. I would never have gone there myself after reading Jonah chapter 4. Because, again, there's so much we could talk about. But you know what? God was teaching Jonah a very important lesson. And in doing so, teaching his chosen people of Israel. And now today, us, in this place, in this time, about what it means to put up walls in our minds and our hearts between us and God us and other people i'd like to bring your attention to ephesians chapter 2 this will be up on the screen for you i want to read this as i do would you please notice what paul talks about with this topic of putting up and tearing down walls see jonah put up a wall between him and god when he tried to run he put up a wall between him and the people of Nineveh. when Nineveh, when in his heart and his mind, he was judging them even before the God of the universe did. And he didn't want them to receive the graciousness and the goodness of God. Remember that? That is such a big part of this Jonah story. But it can also be a part of our story if we're not careful. Because we are easily, easily led and quickly label other people. Pass judgment on them. And we become prejudiced. You know what that word prejudice means? If you just kind of break it down, it's to prejudge. To prejudge somebody. That means that you are judge and jury, passing judgment on somebody before the trial even begins. In this country, under the law, are we not, as we say, innocent until proven guilty? But is that the reality of the way things work? Isn't it true, really, in reality, that perception is reality? That in many ways, we're guilty until proven innocent? We see that. It's happening more and more, and we recognize it on any level of society. But what we're concerned about this morning is our hearts and our standing before God. So Jonah was putting up those walls, but Jesus tore down walls. And look at what he did to do that. Ephesians 2, 11-22, the Apostle Paul is reminding the early church about just this fact. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised, this is for us this morning, so this is talking to you and to me, called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. You were without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace. But look at what He has done. Who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in the flesh the law with its commands and its regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles. 
thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. I stop right there for a second. If on the cross Jesus shed his blood and allowed his body to be tortured as it was in order to put to death hostility and judgment and prejudice and all those things that go along with it, then why do we continue to do that? Why do we put up those walls in our hearts and our minds when Jesus put that all to death? It says, He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but your fellow citizens. You're with God's people and you're also members of this household. You're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. And in Him, this whole building is joined together. It rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. See what Jesus did for us. He tears down those walls. He's talking in this passage, Paul, about the Jew and the, and the Gentile. But isn't that also the story of Jonah? What's, I mean, Jonah didn't want the goodness of God, the grace and mercy of God to go to the people of Nineveh. Why? Because he judged them to be unworthy. Jonah judged them to be unworthy. And what is God saying to him? Yeah, you cared more about the plant and your own comfort than the destiny of these people. And it's as if God was saying, you're right. They don't deserve it, but neither do you, Jonah. And neither do we. It's not about deserving. It's about God's grace. And so, he says to the early church in Ephesians, he reminds them, this is what Jesus did at the cross. It says he broke down those walls, the walls of hostility. He said, you are now one. The two groups becoming one. And that was so foreign to the people of Israel. But that is really the whole reason I believe that God allowed the book of Jonah to be written and included in our canon in the Bible. Why? To remind His people, the people of Israel and us today, that we are called on a mission to bring the grace of God to the people around us. Do you remember that God promised to Abraham that the people of the world, that every nation would be blessed through Abraham and his descendants? you know that? And ultimately, how is it that the world is blessed through Abraham and his descendants, the people of Israel? Through whom? Through Jesus Christ. But it was also through the fact that God had called the people of Israel at that time to be a witness for God, for God's grace and love and mercy and compassion to the nations around them. Not to judge them and not to put up those barriers in their hearts. And so once and for all, God sent Jesus to do that on the cross. Do you remember what it said at that moment when He said it was finished? That the earth shook? 
And what happened to the curtain that separated the people from God's presence? The walls that were built up. It said it was torn, right? But it was torn from top to bottom. Why is that? Because it shows that it was God who did it. God who did it. A curtain torn from top to bottom. So that we can then have a relationship once again with God our Father and our Creator. But only through the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you know now, if you are sitting here and you are a Christian, that you are a believer, that you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, that you now have a new position before God. When God sees you, He doesn't see your sinfulness. He sees the shed blood of Christ, which covers you. You are called righteous. And you are called holy in God's sight. That's the only way that we can enter into a relationship with a perfect and holy God. Is that not amazing? Does that not then just spur on you to say amen? All right. Dancing in the aisles. No, that's right. Maybe not. Not yet. Not yet. We're getting there. Soon. But isn't it amazing what God can teach us even from this short book of Jonah and that story? You know, I also want to recount you. It'll be up on the screen for you. I'm not going to tell, uh, read the whole story. But if you remember, we spent um, all of last year going through the book of Acts. It was the early church, right? And there's this great story, a pivotal point in the whole story of the early church in the book of Acts in chapter 10. It's a story of Peter and Cornelius. You remember that? Cornelius was a Gentile, a non-Jew. And God calls Peter to go to his house. We would say like the first time, really, in essence, that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, is going to a Gentile, to the Gentiles, and then from there it spreads. You remember then the Apostle Paul was called to go specifically right, to the Gentiles. He always went to the temple, but he was called specifically by God to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And that was brand new. It was something that the Jewish people would never have considered. And so Peter had a rough time with it. Do you remember what God had to do to get Peter's attention when he was calling him to get together with Cornelius? And he was on the roof, remember? And he fell into a trance. Did you ever climb to your roof and fall into a trance? I hope not, right? Because then you'd probably just fall, yeah. And so he's in this trance and God has him see this sheet and it's kind of full of animals and God says, what? Take and eat. And Peter's like, no way. I wouldn't eat anything that's unclean. And what does God do? He rebukes him and saying, don't deny anything that I have proclaimed clean. Peter still didn't get it. Remember, finally, Peter does. He gets called by Cornelius' people, and he's starting to see it when they come to his house. And then Peter follows him, goes to Cornelius' house, and it's full of people that are ready to hear the gospel. And he's sharing with them. So he shares the gospel. And look at what it says in chapter 10 of Acts, verse 4. Then Peter began to speak to this whole group. And it says this in Acts 10, verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears Him and does what is right. Peter was learning that lesson. Right? He was learning that lesson. That's the lesson that, that God was teaching. Jonah, don't put up those walls in your heart. Forgive as I forgive. 
But Jonah in his heart had already prejudged them, and so was prejudice. So I say this in my closing thoughts for this morning. To check your heart, I had to check my heart as I'm preparing this. What kind of walls do I put up between people or between me and God? Walls I don't even recognize. Barriers between me and Him and having an intimate relationship. Perhaps there's someone in your life that you need to forgive. Maybe someone that you need to surrender to God in your heart. Perhaps you're experiencing bitterness and resentment, hostility, even hatred. That's moving you to become prejudiced, to lead towards bigotry and bias. God says, let that go. Because to us, His church, He says this morning, my Son Jesus went to the cross to put to death all of that. And so why do we still continue to do it? Do you know in practical sense what these things do in our hearts? And I know we've all experienced it. What happens when you have bitterness in your heart and you hold resentment towards other people or even to God? And even in your mind, if you never say the words, you recognize that there's some bigotry there or racism or judgment, whatever it is. You know what it does? It weighs you down. It weighs you down. It chains you down. You know, God sent us free, the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus said when He proclaimed His ministry to begin in Luke chapter 4, that He came to set the captives free. And He loosed the chains that bound us. But what we like to do is slowly kind of put those chains back on, don't we? These things cloud our judgment. They weigh us down. It can dim our discernment. But you know what else it dims? It dims our light. How can we be a witness to one another and then to the world around us if we're letting these things dim our light? We're called to be salt and light. Not light hidden under a bushel, which I take to be also not a light hidden in our hearts and not shown. Not a light that's only for Sunday mornings for a couple of hours. It's a light that is supposed to shine. We're supposed to be a city on a hill for all to see. Remember, this whole book is for Israel. Reminding them of their missional calling to be a blessing, a light to reflect the character and nature and promise of the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to the nations around them. And Jonah represents their failure to that calling. Not only from running from their responsibility, but his failure and the people of Israel, their failure and our failure to extend the grace and hope of God to a lost and dying people. The people of Nineveh desperately needed the grace and mercy of God the world around us needs the same. Needs the same. Jesus Christ came to bring freedom, to break down the walls of the heart, the ones that we continually put back up. So I would just ask that we would all reflect on our life before Christ. What did your life look like before you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation? Remember your destiny before being reconciled to God. See, if you remember when the Old Testament talks about the temple, 
the temple that Jesus said that he now is. Remember he said that he would tear down the temple, destroy it, and rebuild it in three days? And his disciples were like, what? They were looking at the physical temple. Do you know within that temple that the Israelites built, there were dividing walls. They separated out the Gentiles from the Jews. So the Jews said, no Gentiles allowed. They had a court just for the women. No women allowed. If you were poor, if you were needy, if you didn't look right, you weren't even allowed into the outer courts. There was even division among the Levites, the priests. There was something wrong with you and there was divisions in between that. We can maybe look at that today as the division between clergy and laity and pastor and the congregation. And Jesus says, I tear that down. He tells us about the nature of a church and the leadership, right? the calling of elders and deacons and and those who are to be in leadership, but that's not what I'm talking about. He's talking about the heart. He said in that great passage in Ephesians that what did Jesus do on the cross? He brought the two together. And Peter says, now I recognize when he gets to Cornelius' house, he sees all the people eager to hear the truth. He says, now I recognize it's not just for me. It's not just for the Jews. It is for all nations because God loves them all. And everyone has that need. Because no one is deserving. No one is deserving. John 3.16 says what? For God so loved who? The whole world. God so loved the whole world. The most religious? The best looking? The richest? No. The whole world. Jesus said he came for the sick. The Beatitudes, he says, blessed are the meek, which means humble. It's those who come before God, as the psalm says, with a contrite heart, which means penitent, which means you recognize the sin within you and you want to repent of that. See, we are called to forgive as God has forgiven us. Those who have wronged us are the ones that we're called to pray for. Pray for your enemies. Are those people in your life that have wronged you, are you praying for them? Maybe it's the hardest thing to do. We tend to be like Jonah. God, don't. They're not worth it. Don't forgive them. That'll never happen. Just keep me comfortable. Keep that plant over me. Don't beat me down with the sun and the hot east wind. Just let me be comfortable here. He even distanced himself from the city. When he went in and preached the word, what did he do? It said he came outside the city and he sat down where he could kind of see what was going on. Just kind of, it's like me and them. I'm here. God's called me. They're over here. He put up a wall in his mind and his heart. God even says to Jonah, are you right to be angry? He's saying, does this seem right to you? And Jonah, in his frustration, even said, yeah, it is right. I want to die. That's how frustrated I am about your graciousness. He points out Jonah's deep, Deep despair over losing the shade of the plant. But he doesn't even care at all about the 120,000 people and even their livestock that will be judged and destroyed. You know, we all make priorities in our life. We set priorities in our money, our budget, our time with our business and everything. But how about the priorities of our heart? Maybe even this morning we can confess to God, God, I am Jonah. So perhaps our prayer to the Father in heaven should be that he invades the dark spaces of our heart 
begins to break down walls that we've allowed to be built up, those barriers that prevent us from offering forgiveness and extending grace and showing mercy and praying for reconciliation between us and others and God. When God gives us a second chance like He did with Noah, let us respond in obedience like Noah did, but with a changed heart. I don't think Jonah was there just yet. Forgive those who have wronged us. I guarantee they don't deserve it, because neither do you or me. Only by the grace of God. Have you ever said that? I heard somebody say that, but only for the grace of God. Only by the grace of God am I here, yes. And so I end with saying next week, before we start looking at the book of Malachi, that'll be the next book that we get to, next week there'll be a special message before we get into that book. I'm going to actually ask something I don't think I've asked before. But I'm going to really encourage you and even challenge you. Would you invite some people to come out next week? Because I'm going to preach a message on grace. I'm going to talk all about grace. Now, to some of us, it might sound kind of boring. Yeah, I know what grace is about and why it's such a big topic. But you know what? What I've recognized, even just over the past few months, that grace perhaps is the most misunderstood part of our relationship with God. But it's the most vital. Because for it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. If we don't understand that, then we're still lost in our sin. Invite those friends and family out next week to just come and hear a simple message about the grace of God. Those people that you've been witnessing to or sharing with, maybe the people in your family or at work in your neighborhood, next week would be the perfect time to have them come out. And if they don't, it's okay. God will bring out those who He wants to be here. But I challenge all of you, make it a point to be here next week, if at all possible. Because I can't even see how we're going to continue to grow and to thrive as a church and to then go and share our story, the Gospel of good news with the people around us, if we don't first understand the powerful grace of God. God was teaching Jonah about His grace. And he said it has nothing to do with deserving it. And I want to make sure that as a church, in order for us to move forward, even into just this year together, as we lay foundations for growth and expect God to do amazing things, we need to understand in our heart of hearts the true grace of God and the implications for us. They may be simple, but so profound. So that'll be our message next week, simply on the grace, the powerful grace of God that we need to understand it. And perhaps it will be in a way that maybe you haven't heard it before. But please, come out and listen to what God's Word has to say about His grace towards us. If we are to be true to God's calling for us to be salt and light, to be that city on a hill, to truly thrive as God's vessel to bring hope to a hurting and hopeless world, we need to understand grace and live it out. Live it out. When we do, we'll see relationships restored. We'll see hearts healed, lives redeemed for the glory of our Creator. For His love is a love that will not let us go. Did we not just sing that a little while ago? Is it not also the picture of God's relentless grace and love 
towards Jonah, the one that he called. He calls us. We are on a mission for God. Are we running or are we acting out of obedience with a humble and contrite heart? See, God inclines towards us and He covers us with His amazing grace and then He sends us out to love and to forgive. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your powerful Word. God, an amazing story through a curious character of Jonah. And God, we know that you had a a really strong message for your people of Israel, but we thank you that that letter exists today and that you chose for it to be part of your word to us today in the year 2018. And God, we recognize that um, we can be like Jonah. But God, help us in our heart, first and foremost, our mind and our heart to to put away those prejudices, those things that move us to look at others and to judge them before we even get to know them. God, would you help us to do that with you, God? We have preconceived notions about who you are and how you act, but God, so much of it is probably not biblical. God, would you help us to stay true to your word, to read about you in your, through your very own words to us, so we can get to know you more and more. God, it's only then that our relationship with you will grow deeper and our trust in you will be more steadfast and stronger. God, as we leave this place and we take the message of hope beyond these four walls, help us to remember that in our heart that Jesus Christ has died to break down those walls. And God, that we would be willing, be willing to represent you wherever you call us to go, whether it's to Nineveh or whether it's to others here in the church. We want to be on that mission for you. We want to be true to the call. God, would you have mercy on us? Forgive us of those sins, individually but collectively as your church. And God, that we would represent you well in this place, in this time in history, that God, that we would be your light, that we would be your salt. God, we can't be salt and add flavor and bring the knowledge of the gospel. We can't be that salt if we're not involved in other people's lives. God, would you... Show us how to do it. Remind us to do that. And all the while, coming before you with a humble and thankful heart. Thank you, God, for what you're doing, but what you're going to do in and through us as a church. We give all the thanks and the praise to the one who makes it all possible, the one who shed his blood, that is Jesus Christ, our Savior. We thank him. In his name we pray. Amen.